0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. And over the last four or five weeks, we have spent the bulk of our time in Genesis, which is the beginning of the story. Uh, today, we're going all the way to the end, and we're going to look at how the story ends. Uh, you know how a story ends is is important, but what happens in the middle is important as well. Uh, you know, you, you look at uh, you look at stories, and for the most part. Uh, Movies, You know, it's getting ready to be, I don't know how many days it is to Christmas, but that means that uh, it's only so many days till Hallmark Christmas movie season, right? And so uh, almost all of those are the same story, uh, but they all end well, right? They all pretty much end in a good way. And, And the reason for that is because, not just because, hey, that makes for a good story, but that ultimately points to the fact that God has wired us that way because God has written into history a good ending and God has wired it into us to crave that good ending even though that's contrary to what you and I experience on a daily basis but but what happens in the middle is, of the story is is important as well and so today I want to as we look at this and we talk about our heritage our heritage together as a church I want us to look at how God has has been faithful to us, as well as what he's going to do in the future and how we should live coming out of that. So what can we say about our past before we look at this text? Well, has God blessed us? I mean, personally, has he blessed us? Yeah. I and mean, look around. As, as a church, has he blessed us? Absolutely. We look around and, and uh, on, on this graphic, God's faithfulness through 184 years of ministry, how many other organizations do you know of that are 184 years or older? I and mean, this, is, this is pretty phenomenal. This just doesn't happen, you know. Like, you know, I mean, just about every other institution you can think of has been in existence less, a shorter amount of time than what God has, has sustained us as a congregation. We're, I don't know if you know this, but Avenue Creek Baptist Church predates the Southern Baptist Convention. We're older than the Southern Mavs Convention uh, by just a few years, but we're older than, than that. You look across the road as hopefully you'll, everybody will stay today and come down to the gym and, and eat together. It's going to be a great time. I've heard all week long about all these foods and how good the food's going to be. And I haven't had carbs, starch, sugar, anything for about six, a little over six weeks. And so I'm going to go in there with some trepidation today. And, uh, but uh, you know it's going to be great, but as you walk down there today... Just look across the road and and see the cemetery. And, and a lot of times pastors say don't, you know, they don't want to draw attention to the cemetery. But that cemetery over there represents a lot of history, a lot of believers, a lot of people that were faithful to God because God had loved them. And, and, and we look at that cemetery and we see all those who have gone before us. And it's on really their shoulders of faith that we stand. There in the corner of the cemetery, you'll see that little cabin. And that's the original building where Abner Creek kind of got its start. And a few years back, it was moved on site here and and, uh, some renovations done to that. So we we have reason to say God has indeed blessed us, but not just in times past. And right now, we're just sort of having to endure and and, and hold on, hoping that he'll do something great again. I think I'm not going to say that these are unprecedented days, but I think these are good days at Abner Creek. Wouldn't you say? I mean, God seems to be moving around us. There's a spirit of unity among us that is that is phenomenal. Um, you know, I, I feel like, and maybe, maybe I hope you hope you agree with this. I feel like we, there's a purity in our doctrine that we're that we're trying to stay true to what God has has said to us. I was playing golf yesterday in our tournament with with a. a brand new believer doesn't doesn't attend here or anything and he asked me about how I went about preaching and and my conviction is that God has already spoken and therefore I don't need to go out and sort of reinvent something or come up with some some message I don't have to to you know, watch Sports Center and get, get inspired and come to you with some sports-themed message. I can just open the Bible and, and come to God's Word. God seems to have given us a common vision to, to love our neighborhood and also a call to go to the nations. We look around at the, the music that we sang today. We have, we have musicians that lead us every single week that, uh, that are humble and authentic and good at what they do and, and don't want to be in the limelight at all. Uh, there's, this, there's just this, uh, I want to get out of the way as we lead people to see the glory of our God and we sing together. There are people that serve behind the scenes all over the place. We have multiple teachers uh, in our congregation that God has, has brought to the surface to, to open his word in different contexts of Sunday school classes and life groups and, and, and different settings. Um, we're a church that, that has both pastors and deacons. And guess what? We like one another. You know, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, we like meeting together, and, and uh, you know, we, we met together the other day, and, and uh, we had some people out. Clay's been sick and different things, and so we just sat around for a while, and we just talked. And we could have gone home before that, but we just kind of sat around and talked, and it was a good thing. Uh, so I think we can say, we look around, we're multiple generations in one room. That's a great thing. Um, those of you with parents, aren't you, aren't you glad that your kids are around older people? that are able to kind of just pour into them and and display wisdom to them. I mean, this is just a a good thing. We can say God has been faithful. He has indeed made His face to shine upon us. I mean, I think we should thank God for that. Amen? Amen. So what can we say about our past? God's been faithful. We've We've been walking through this series together and I started talking about living in God's design and what 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 does that do for us when we we see God's design in the beginning it was perfect well it leads us to worship even now when we see his fingerprints in design in creation around us we it causes us to say our God is great and it causes us to worship but then we followed that up and we said, now that's not exactly our experience. We, we actually live in the midst of brokenness because sin came into the world. But living in brokenness leads us to, in the midst of worship, to see our own need and also be sensitive to the needs of others that we encounter. And, and then we looked at living rescue, that God sent his own son, Jesus, to, to live the life we, need, we didn't live and, and to die the death that we should have died and, and because of his life and death and resurrection, you and I are free. Uh, we're free to rest. We rest in him. We're free from laboring to try to earn God's favor. Um, and then today I want us to look at living restored. Looking at the end of the story. We live restored. And as we live restored, looking forward to God's future restoration. And knowing that we live even in the midst of this current reality that's already but not yet it leads us to have a sense of mission and purpose in our lives in this in-between time. So Revelation 21, and I'm going to read the first eight verses, and then I want us to just answer this question, what will the future hold? Okay, Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So this passage gives us a picture of what God will do. What will the future hold? C.S. Lewis um, and just give you this quote from C.S. Lewis: "Said creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction of those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. There's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. There's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. There's such a thing as sex. If I discover within myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy." The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And that's the reality of what we're talking about. Revelation 21, 1 through 8, gives us a vivid picture of that world. And I just want to walk through and just show you what God's going to do, what we have coming. Revelation 21, 1 says that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Finally, we will know completely and fully what was meant in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Finally, there's coming a day when God makes this new heaven and new earth where Isaiah 65.17 will be fulfilled. Where it says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Apparently, what's coming In the new heaven and new earth is going to be so incredible that you and I won't even think about what we've experienced now. And that's hard, right? Because what you and I know, there are some really high highs in this life and there are some really low lows in this life. But God says what's coming to you, you can't even imagine. You won't even think about the things of before. They won't come to mind. Also in Revelation 21.1, it says that the sea will be no more. And I got to tell you, when I read this and when I, when without knowing what this is talking about, this makes me a little sad because I love the sea. I love to go to the beach. I love to just, I love everything about the sea. I wouldn't want to be stranded in it. I wouldn't want to be floating out, you know, with no help around me. But I just, I love everything nautical. Like, it's just a, this draw. Like, I, I, you know, picture myself as this old salty, you know, Sailor or something. I just want to go to the sea, you know. Jimmy Buffett comes on. I tear up a little bit, you know, stuff like that, right? And so this makes me sad just a little bit that the sea will be no more, except what's being referred to here is that the sea was the place from which the beast had come. Revelation 13, verse 1, speaks of the beast being Satan and all of his demonic attempts to thwart God's plan. It says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with Ten horns and seven heads, and ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its head. In Job chapter 41, in the sea, there is this great sea monster known as Leviathan. By now, as we read in Revelation 21, Satan has been, the beast himself, that Satan has been cast into the lake of fire in chapter 20, verse 10. And here in 21, verse 1, the sea is completely done away with. And God's point is that there is nothing left to fear. That there is nothing left that can come out of that that dark abyss that would threaten us. There is nothing left to fear. So what we have coming to us is so incredible that the former things will not come to mind. And those things that rose up to threaten us that we should fear will be eradicated. There there will be nothing left to come that you and I should fear. And many of us, even even many of us who know Christ as Savior, who know that that our foe has been defeated, we live our lives held captive by certain fears. Imagine a place where fear will be no more. In Revelation 21, verse 2, the holy city comes down prepared as as a bride adorned for her husband. This fulfills Isaiah 52 verse 1 where God said there through the prophet awake, awake, put put on your strength O Zion, put on your beautiful garments O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall be no more come into you uh, there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. What it's referring to here is that it was not uncommon in biblical days for um, neighboring Nations and city, to to invade cities, to besiege those and carry off the inhabitants into uh, to exile. And this was not um, Israel was not Jerusalem was not uh, protected from this. They were carried off into exile more than once. We read of the Babylonian exile, the Assyrian exile, and 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 God was punishing them in some ways through their for their idolatry. And but here He makes a promise that there's coming a day. When Jerusalem, you will no longer have to fear having someone, a neighboring nation, invade you, besiege you, and carry you off as prisoners. It will not happen. It will be put away. And that's good news for you and I because we're not talking about just some geopolitical nation on a map. We are talking now the true Jerusalem, the true Israel of God are all those who are placing their faith... Resting in Christ alone. And so for you and I, there's coming a day when we won't have to worry about the church redeemed by Christ, true citizens of New Jerusalem, will no longer be trampled, violated, or carried off by rogue nations. But we will be adorned as a bride. We don't have to worry that there's going to be something in this world to come that will thwart God's plans again, throw us into some other need to be rescued and redeemed. God will protect and, and, and do away with all foes. There's nothing that will ever threaten us in this world to come. In 21 verse 3, the dwelling place of God is with man. You ever wonder why the new creation is called a city? We, we talk about the, the new Jerusalem. This was a mystery to me for a long time. Why is it called the new Jerusalem? Why is this city coming down? Well, it's called a city because God needs an address. Not really. But for our purposes of understanding, it will be where God dwells. It's where He's, he's going to live. He's going to live in this city with His people. He will live there with those who trust and believe in Him. Well, then we look at this and we say, but why then, if, if this is called a city, why is the city referred to as a bride? It seems like we're, we're mixing metaphors or something. Well, it's picturing for us the fact that God in this city will be in covenant with those who are His. He's going to be in, in complete commitment to, intimate relationship with those who are there with Him. Uh, the most intimate of human relationships that you and I know is, is the relationship of, a, uh, of marriage. Uh, when you're married to someone... Um, you know things about that person, they know things about you that no one else knows. And it better stay that way, right? Uh, but Tim, Tim Keller said this, I'm walking through a book with, with uh, various people. Uh, Tim Keller said, uh, in the meaning of marriage, to be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved. Is a lot like being loved by God. And when God created marriage. He created it not so that. Hey there's just this another institution. But God created marriage. Where there would be this intimate knowing. A husband knowing his wife. And a wife knowing her husband. And loving each other. Even when you know everything. He created this marriage. To be a picture of His relationship with those who were redeemed, with the church. And so when you look at a marriage, a marriage is to be healthy so that it points to how God relates to His people. In Ephesians chapter 5, I'll read this section because it's important for us to understand this. In a day where marriage is being belittled and stripped and fought for on wrong sides and all sorts of things, Ephesians 5 verse 22 through 33 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. and to the church. However let each one of you. Love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. When you and I look at marriage. We are to see those who. Know one another well. And love one another. And therefore we give a picture. Of how God interacts. Relates to his, his church. And So here in this future city. When we see the city coming down. Adorned as a bride for her husband. This is the picture here of the. Intimacy that will exist between those who belong to Christ and God in this everlasting experience. In other words, what was meant to take place in Eden, Adam and Eve were to have this intimacy that was uninterrupted with each other and with God, and, and what was imperfectly hinted at in, when God gave the tabernacle and the temple and today even in church, that we are to have this intimate knowing of God and walking with God. What was supposed to be in Eden. What was hinted at in the tabernacle temple in the church. Will finally be the reality of this new heaven and new earth. <coughs> John Piper said this. That we should test ourselves here. He challenged us on this. And then he said, there are many professing Christians who delight in God's gifts. But not God. And then he asked the question, would you want to go to heaven if God were not there? See, part of the, part of the reality, part of the, probably the most significant part of what heaven will, will make heaven heaven is the fact that God will be there. God will dwell with his people. There will be renewed intimacy once again. This is how it was always supposed to be. And finally and forever it will be restored. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 9 through 12. Sandwiched in between that great love passage. And verse 13 that finishes that up. There are these verses. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. The Bible here says that the, the transition between how you and I know and interact and walk with God here will be like going from childhood to adulthood. There's going to be this, this vast growing up that we will know completely as we have been fully known. And this is one of the beautiful realities of this heaven to come. In verse 4 of 21, there will be no more suffering or sorrow. The, the Bible says there in verse 4 that he will wipe away every tear uh, from their eyes. Death will be no more. I mean, Perhaps right now you're sitting here and, and there is something that has caused you to grieve. Um, something that you don't understand, something that has caused a massive sorrow in your heart, and, uh, and you wish you could get over it, you wish that you could understand why it's come from some sin or disaster or, or some disappointment, um, it, but you just don't understand, you don't know, and your heart just hurts. And you see everyone going on about their lives all around you, and they all seem to be happy, and, and uh, everything seems to be going well for everybody else, but you seem to be in this fog, and this cloud of sadness that's, comes from something that has happened in your life. The Bible here says that that will not go on forever. That one day He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This fulfills Isaiah 25.8 where it says that He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will personally wipe away. Think about that. Wipe away tears from our faces and the reproach of his people will be, be, take away from all the earth. I mean, you think about the vernacular, the, the, the language that's used there in Isaiah, that he will swallow up death forever. Do you see the reversal? Hasn't it all our lives and won't it go on forever after ours until God intervenes that death seems to be the one doing the swallowing? That it gulps away those that you love. That no one escapes the reality of death. But here the Bible promised in Isaiah 25 that God one day will do the... what He'll swallow. He's going to swallow death away. But death will not be the one that's taking those loved ones away. Finally, God will take away death. And death will be no more. And that He... Don't miss this. That He... Such intimacy will wipe away tears. Take away the pain. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when we read this oftentimes at funerals, verses 54 and 55 says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? There's coming a day when death will be no more. In fact, what's being pointed to here in verse 4, when it's no more suffering, no more sorrow, every single effect that sin has brought to this world, every single negative effect that sin has brought to this world, all the brokenness, God will eradicate. No more tears of regret. No more tears of insecurity. No more tears of hurt of any kind whatsoever. This is the reality that is coming to those who are trusting Christ. In chapter 21, verse 5, he's also in the new heaven and new earth. He's going to make all things new. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9 says that there is nothing new under the sun. I want you just to stop and ponder that for just a second. In, In your life, whether that's a short amount of time, whether that's, you know, 10, 11 years, whether that's 90-plus years. In your life, you have never experienced anything completely new. So, well, sure I have. Man, when I was growing up, the Internet didn't exist. There was no such thing as an iPhone. You've never experienced anything new. You and I have experienced... uh, May, per, perhaps things for the first time. Perhaps we've, we've come across some different expression of something. But you and I have never experienced anything completely new. Those new innovations are simply the rearrangements of old molecules. Repurposed in some way. They come from God's original creation. Where God created ex nihilo, out of nothing, that God Speaks and creates. That the same laws. No one no, we rearrange molecules, but no one has ever made something, created something brand new. That the same laws still govern our universe. No one has ever suspended the seasons. We're getting ready to go into my favorite season of the year. I love the fall. Anybody else love the fall? It gets cool. Leaves change colors. You can build fires outside. I just love it. Okay, if if it were up to me, I'd have I'd probably have like you know like nine or ten months of fall, and then maybe a little bit of summer in there, so I'd go to the beach. You know, that'd, that'd be me, right? But I've not figured out how to do that, and nobody has. Nobody has figured out how to suspend the seasons. No one has ended the curse of sickness. If you could end the curse of sickness, wouldn't you? I mean, like that, wouldn't we? For the good of humanity and for the good of those that we love. How many of us have someone who right now is, is impacted in such a heavy way by some infirmity on their body? And if we could, we'd just end it all. But nobody's figured out how to do that. No one has done away with gravity. Wouldn't we do away with gravity, probably? We'd just do away with wrinkles and. Sagging skin and all that sort of thing, right? You grow older and you get shorter, you know, all this stuff. We just just do away with all that stuff. No one one has figured out how to control time. People have have learned how to manage their time, right? You can go into any bookstore, go on Amazon, whatever, and you can find all kinds of books on time management, be a better manager of your time. But no, you'll never find a book on how to add time or how to suspend time. I mean, what, what age would you choose to? If you could, I'll suspend time right here. We'll stay this forever. People try it. People have had like six, 39th birthdays, right? Nobody can do it. Because you and I have never known anything new under the sun. The same laws that govern this universe are still going that God has placed over this universe. But God says that when this Revelation 21 comes to be, That he will make all things new. That they will in some ways be distinct and truly new from what you and I have known. That's why you and I can't imagine that life without certain things that we enjoy here. But God says, you don't know the half of it. You can't imagine what I have in store. Because you've never known it. Revelation 21, 6, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, and the Alpha and the Omega say that it is done. The Alpha and the Omega are the the first and the last letters in the Greek alphabet, meaning that, that God has always existed and that he always will exist. And for the God who will be there, who's already there in the end, it is no problem for him to tell us what it's like. He already knows. So this future that we see here in Revelation 21, 1 through 6, is a beautiful picture of what is coming, what the future will indeed be. God has been faithful to us in the past, in the sending of Jesus. And then then look at our lives, look at our church here and how faithful He's been. But man, look at what He's going to do. We have no reason to doubt that He won't do those things that we've just talked about as well. So what does that mean then? For our present let me give you i think four things here four practical ways to apply this passage to your life one is for the christian if you're here today as a believer in christ you, you know that he has saved you he's redeemed you for the christian whatever is going on no matter what is going on in your life right now it's not the final chapter You may be in the midst of something horrific right now. Let me say to you, with all the comfort that the Bible can give you, it is not the final chapter. You may be going through times in your life right now where it's wonderful. And you may be at a point where you say, I can't imagine going beyond that. I don't don't want to ever go beyond this. Let me just, with all the comfort and all the encouragement that I can give you from the Bible, let me just tell you, it's not the final chapter. You may indeed go through seasons of hardness. You will go through seasons where it is filled with joy. But neither are the final chapter because the final chapter has been and will be written and read by God Himself. Randy Elkhorn said it this way, God originally planned that human beings live unswervingly happy, fulfilled, righteous, and God-centered lives on earth. If our current lives present the only opportunities for that, then God's plan has failed. But if we know the, the God revealed in Scripture, we realize His plans do not fail. His promises to resurrect both us and the earth itself guarantee His plan will forever succeed. We want every chapter of our lives to feel good. Isn't that true? Nobody would ever say, I, I'll take some bad, please. Nobody ever does that. We want every chapter of our lives to feel good. It doesn't work that way. The current chapter may be terribly hard, but the story hasn't ended. God promises a final chapter in which he ties together all the story's loose ends, launches us into an eternal sequel of incredibly grand proportions. I think it's just a cool thought to think of heaven being a sequel. A sequel that you and I have never known, and that will be way better than what we have known. So that's number one for, for the Christian, no matter what you're going through right now. It's not the final chapter. Number two, live your life in light of that reality. I mean, live your life in light of that reality that, hey, what I'm in mean now, this isn't the final chapter. I mean, live for this future glory instead of this glory of today. Too often we, we live For right now, as if as if right now is is the it's it it's the final chapter of my life. I I don't know. I can't imagine life beyond this, and we make decisions based on that. Live your life out of the fact that the final chapter is yet to come. In chapter in Matthew chapter four verse seventeen, it tells us that from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." So Jesus, even two thousand years ago, was preaching that the kingdom was coming. The king's at hand. We too often, in this life, live for small kingdoms, don 't we? We lose sight of this grand kingdom that is to come. I posted yesterday on Facebook you know the, the thought of, of living under the, the rule of one single solitary Uh, authority in our lives is terrifying to us unless the character of that one ruler is completely good and all-powerful and all-knowing. This is the reality. We live for kingdoms that are so small. I mean, our, our culture says be first, but God says the last will be first and the first will be last. Our culture says step over others to exalt yourself But God says, be humble to be exalted. Our culture says, do whatever makes you look best. But God says, take the worst seat at the table instead of the best. Culture says, always get or do what you want. But God says, die to your desires. Culture says, take care of yourself first and foremost. But God says, whoever loses his life will find it. Culture says, maybe forgive, but but don't forget. God says, love and pray for your enemies. Culture says, have nothing to do with those who are against you. But God says, bless those who persecute you. Our culture says, no one tells you what to do. And God says, go further than you were asked to. We have a king who sits on the throne, who is one day coming to usher in this kingdom. It's already being ushered in, but it's going to one day finally and fully be realized. We live our lives out of this reality that our king is not the king of this world, but he's another king, and it impacts how we live. Live out of light of that. There's a need to repent. The reason Jesus went around saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand because there's a need to repent because often we live our lives rejecting the king who has rightful rule over us and placing ourselves on that throne. And you and I need to realize that there is a king and we are not him. That God alone has the right to rule our lives. Maybe we should ask ourselves, what keeps me from looking ahead in great, ho- in great hope toward this reality that we've talked about today. W- what are the things in my life that just keep me from seeing this and living for this? Am I, am I living out the purpose for which Christ redeemed me? Or am, or am I simply living my life to kind of build my own little kingdom? How does my daily life, my attitudes, my pursuits, my values... Expose where my heart has not fully embraced God's plan. These are good questions for us to ask. In in chapter 21 of Revelation here this morning, in verse 7, it says that the one who conquers will have this heritage. And I just want to point out to you that for, those, for the believer, there is a call to persevere and to conquer. Too many people are simply resting on the fact that they made a decision at some point. They walked an aisle. They got wet in a pool. And they think, man, there's nothing else required of me. I can live my life however I want to. You know, the, the Baptists, they believe this thing of once saved, always saved. And the reality is I believe that if you are saved, you will always be saved because God will fully and completely save you. But if, if you weren't ever saved, which I think is the reality of a lot of people, then it will show up in the way you live. The Bible here says that we don't do anything to earn God's favor, but when we have God's favor through the gospel of Jesus Christ and his grace alone, it shows up in the way that we live. We live not for this world and not for these kingdoms, but we live for the kingdom that is to come. We are citizens of that. And that we persevere. That we begin to live for his glory and not our own. And when the world increases its pressure as it will, and it's going to, we're going to see this in the the days to come, haven't we already? Just in the last few years, just just look backwards at the last few years, and look how man, the heat has been turned up on those who profess Christ. And it will will not all of a sudden get better. There are a lot of people today that are saying, you know, well I wish America could, could get back to God, and And I wish America would come to God too. I I wish God would send a great revival. But the reality is we were never promised that. And I know, I'm going way off script here, I'll probably get myself in trouble, but you're never going to find the United States of, of America written into the pages of the Bible. God owes us nothing. Instead, what Jesus promised was that those who follow Him will be hated. And here he says, Those who conquer will have this heritage. So, Christian, endure. Live your life out of this reality described here, knowing that just as those things he promised and has already delivered on, he will also be faithful to this as well. We're celebrating 184 years of ministry and his faithfulness here. Why would we doubt that he'll be faithful to bring this to happen as well? Number three. As you live in light of this reality, others will be forced to face the very different reality made possible only by the gospel. If you live your life and truly live your life and make your decisions out of, man, I'm looking forward to this, you won't be able to help but stand out from the crowd. And, and they'll, they'll see a life that's different. And, and, and let me just say this because I need to say this. Your life doesn't save them. At some point, it's going to require you to use words. But boy, it it certainly gives credence when your life and your words match. When, When your life doesn't match what you're actually trying to share and preach, no one wants to believe that so when you live in light of this reality, oh, God is one day returning, and man, He's going to do away with all the brokenness that you and I know. And I long for that day, and it causes me to live with a sense of mission today. Those that don't have the hope of the gospel will be faced with that reality. Which brings me to number four. Preach the good news of the kingdom. Now, I hesitate to use the word preach. It's a good word. It's a biblical word. But in our context, it has been hijacked and and ran through the mud. You may hear me when I say preach the the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. And you may hear me say be judgy and talk down to people and point your fingers like like I'm doing right now. And I don't even try to do that. Uh, And that's not at all what we're saying. We're talking about a herald who comes running back from the battlefield and the war has gone well and, and, and your nation, his nation has, has won and there is no need for the, the citizens of the city to fear being taken off, carried off into captivity. And so he runs back and he heralds the good news. Good news, good news, we won. Preach like that. Matthew 4, 23, Jesus went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You say, well, why would we do such a thing, pastor? Why, Why should we do something like that? I mean, someone will occasionally bring up this innocent guy who lives on an island somewhere, and he has no concept of God, and if we go and we tell him that there's a God, I mean, won't that just condemn him? And the reality is, if if there's some innocent guy on the island, the worst thing you and I could do is go preach to him. But the reality is that there is no innocent guy on the island. Because the Bible says that there are none righteous. No, not one. It doesn't matter whether you've heard the gospel or not. You're guilty before this God. So the, the reason why you and I are to herald, to preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom is because it's not the the hearing of the gospel that makes people accountable. Humans are condemned already, and that's in verse 8. In verse 8 of chapter 21, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is not something that comes to them as a result of them hearing the gospel and rejecting it. This is the reality for all those who don't have the hope of Christ. Right now, whether they've heard or not, th- these things, the being sexually immoral and, and all these things, that's what shows up in the life of someone who does not know God. And their life will validate God's judgment. So you and I should go whether it's across the street to our neighbors or whether it's across an ocean to the nations, you and I should go and preach and herald this good news. The gospel is not the problem. The gospel is the answer. Every story that you'll watch through Christmas season will have this happy ending. Some schmuck will show up and he'll annoy some woman who's running some kind of bed and breakfast they'll begin to fall for one another and like each other and their friends will tell them they're crazy something will happen her dad will get involved and all of a sudden he's on the outs and he heads out he's leaving town he's about to get on an airport and then some, something turns and all of a sudden they're reunited and they embrace and they kiss forever right this, this reality that is, that is placed into these stories that hopes for a good ending is only letting you down outside of the gospel. Because in your life and mine right now, in this existence, we don't have hallmark endings. Not all the time. In fact, probably not even very much. But you and I can take it to the bank. And God has promised that this existence, that his world, that his story will end well. Live out of that. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, I thank you that you love us. God, I know the Bible's not about us, but Lord, I sure am so thankful, Lord, that you've promised us a good ending. The ending, Lord, is is not ultimately for us. It's for you. But God, are we the beneficiaries. Lord, everything that we know that is broken and ugly and, and causes pain and suffering, Lord, you will eradicate. And Lord, not only that, it's not that you're just taking away the bad. God, you promise us yourself that you will dwell with us. That we will have unhindered fellowship with you. God, we long for that. God, even now I pray, Lord Jesus, come. God, until you do, until it's in, in your mind to carry that out, when the fullness of time has come, Lord, I pray until then, God, that we would trust you and, Lord, that we would live out of that reality. Lord, that it would cause us to see that, that this chapter of our lives is not final. God, that that you would help us to live in such a way, Lord, that we believe this. And God, that you would cause the people that we encounter to see this and be faced to ask this question. And Lord, that you would give us opportunities and the faith to preach and herald and proclaim the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.